from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. We have a great show lined up for you today, as we normally do. Um, this one is awesome on a couple of different levels. One, as you probably know if you're a regular listener, uh, oftentimes we talk about new and upcoming films that you should check out. Um, today we're going to talk about at least one film, and probably two, uh, by an extraordinary filmmaker. Uh, both of these are documentaries. Uh, one is a film about women in pro football, specifically a team called the Hurricanes from back in the 70s. Um, the film, called The Hurricanes, uh, is actually going to be, if you happen to be in Utah, especially if you happen to be in Utah right now, but uh, this week at the Slam Dance 2024 Film Festival, this uh, film will be featured. That is in Park City, Utah. Um, and we're going to talk about that. I'm sure it has a future long after this uh, showing in Utah. So it will be one not only to watch for, but the theme of it is super, super important. And uh, we'll be talking about that. Um, our guest today is the producer of that film, Lisa France. Um, Lisa is a prolific filmmaker and director. Um, one of her other films, that she wrote and directed is called Roll With Me. Um, both films, by the way, I could not finish without absolutely tearing up. Um, they're, they're both hugely emotional films, which is not a usual reaction over documentaries, but that, there you have it. Um, and I'm excited to, to talk to Lisa about those projects, her work, and a lot of the themes that are part of that. But before we bring Lisa on, uh, we do need to go to the news. And Brody Levesque, who is also the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, which is the magazine you should be checking out every day. It is top-level journalism, especially focusing on the LGBTQ world. Um, it won the Best in Journalism from GLAAD at the GLAAD Awards this year. Um, and so it is not just my word, the publication you read, it is got that rubber stump of a stamp of approval on it as well. Um, and with that, here's Brody. Brody, what's going on in the world? Hey, Rob. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good day to our listeners around the globe. Thank you so much uh, for downloading our podcast and, and hearing what we have to say every week. Um, Florida on Wednesday. The uh, Department of Education, State Board of Education, sent out a rule and a regulation that essentially bans any and all use of any kind of public funds, both state and federal, for any kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, activities, and policy in the Florida college system. That's both colleges, community, four-year, and, of course, universities. What that essentially does is it prohibits 
any of these universities from using any state or federal funds to administer programs that, you know, categorize individuals based on race or sex for the purpose of differential or preferential treatment, which would also include LGBTQ programs. So effectively, the state of Florida just found a way to further erase our community and other communities uh, all in the name of their so-called anti-woke war that Governor DeSantis and Florida Commissioner of Education Manny Diaz have been um, basically on a warpath about. Uh, Diaz said in a statement, these actions today ensure that we will not spend taxpayers' money supporting DEI and radical woke indoctrination that promotes division in our society. Um, Unsurprisingly, uh, there was an immediate pushback. Uh, Joe Sanders, who's the senior political director for Equality Florida, uh, said to me in an email, there's no surprise today that the state board uh, has been a rubber stamp for DeSantis' agenda of censorship, surveillance, and moving forward with another sweepingly broad rule that abolishes diversity and inclusion programs in Florida's college system. Um, you know, the whole problem here is, once again, you know, it's trying to create a solution for a problem that never existed in the first place. But they created this problem. There's all the Brody, nonsense about Brody, this. Yeah. This seems to be in line with an even bigger um, agenda uh, one likely being pushed by the Heritage Foundation, but it seems consistent with the Supreme Court and their um, moves on affirmative action and getting rid of that and, you know, trying to whitewash issues. And oftentimes the, you know, the words of Dr. Martin Luther King are, are being used against people who want progress by saying, oh, no, no, we're colorblind. We're not going to look at the color of people's skin, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's what the new civil rights is about. Um, you know, are those kind of advocacy organizations like the NAACP um, standing up to this? We are hearing back. I've, I've heard back from, as I said, Equality Florida. I'm waiting for a response from the American Civil Liberties Union and the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, the King Center in Georgia said that they wanted to further evaluate it before they comment on it. Uh, so we, we are starting to see, you know, these nonprofits and non-governmental organizations looking at this. But again, to your point, yes, it's part of the larger uh, push that we've seen by the Heritage Foundation and some of these other groups uh, at a state as well as at a federal level, but mostly at a state and local level. Um, we've seen the same kind of uh, nomenclature and language, for example, being used uh, in secondary school systems on school boards. And it has been specifically targeting transgender children, uh, LGBTQ uh, educational programs and history, and of course, GSAs and pride flags and that sort of thing. So it's basically just another spot from the same leopard's coat, essentially. It's just this particular one uh, is obviously at the secondary level. Most of the DeSantis administration 
policy aims for the last uh, goals for the last few years has been to quote unquote eradicate you know this this religious liberal indoctrination you know in universities and 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 again it's all in that far right sphere of influence and talking points um and this is just yet another example of that uh because i will note it is just a rule uh the next florida administration say if it was a democratic governor could probably wipe it out or it may be challenged in court if it goes into a court challenge uh, it's hard to say how that would turn out the u.s district courts um, around North Florida would probably have some First Amendment issues with this. However, when it gets to the appellate level, now you're talking the 11th Circuit Court. And the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is extremely conservative. So it's not odds-on that it would pass that kind of, you know, judicial scrutiny. Um, but, you know, this is kind of the way this has been with these issues. And we've seen this charting repeatedly. This just happens to be, you know, the latest iteration of right hand, you know, nonsense. Uh, and again, you know, it's all predicated on, you know, their war on woke is what they call it. So go for right. it. Um, we have um, a current event. Well, while I'm speaking about things that impact our community, this morning, the United States Senate passed House Resolution 2872, and this is a continuing resolution uh, to keep the federal government open for yet another month. It did pass 77 to 18. Right now, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, is currently uh, voting on the legislation. Uh, at this point, there is about roughly 200 votes against and 189 votes for. And again, this is the Republicans. Uh, if they do kill this bill, uh, then we are definitely looking at a federal shutdown tomorrow. And again, this is, uh, you know, contemporary right now. As you and I are talking, the House on the floor right now is voting on this legislation. Current tally is 203 to 192. Um Going back uh, into, this has been kind of one of the dynamics this week with it. Um, in Texas, uh, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, kicked back a Texas law that, and it blocks the Texas Education Agency from enforcing a state law that was drafted and passed that would require booksellers, okay, to write the explicitness of um, any kind of sexual references in any kind of book materials, whether it's textbooks or books going to libraries or any of that. The appellate court uh, sided with the booksellers and, and the others of uh, the free speech types that sued, and essentially the appellate court, and this is the Fifth Circuit, mind you, Rob, very conservative court, basically said no. This is a First Amendment issue. You can't do that. And the thing of it is that the ratings that this law, and this is the court's ruling, the ratings that this law requires are neither factual nor are they uncontroversial. And so essentially the court came down on the side of the folks saying this is just an ineffective ban. 
and this is something that just is not manageable, um, and so the court kicked it back. Now, of course, obviously, uh, when an appellate court kicks it back, it goes back to the U.S. District Court. Uh, in this particular instance, the way that the law was written uh, and the way that the U.S. District Court ruled on it, fundamentally, um, it's going to require an overhaul uh, by the Texas legislature. So we're going to have to see how that one works its way out. But for now, we have a victory in all the book banning campaigns and from a very unlikely source. Um, anyway, so the other thing I wanted to cover real briefly, and then we could get to our guests. Uh, the first 15 days of this legislative session has already taken place, and we now have well over 300 anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation, mostly aimed at the trans community, however, aimed at us. And like I said, we're only 15 days in. So we're already starting off 2024 legislatively in not a good space. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, The legislation spans the spectrum uh, from emulating don't say gay in classrooms to gender uh, bathroom bills to gender health care, gender identity bills. Uh, There's just a range of it. So it's safe to say that not only is it anti-trans legislative activity, it's essentially anti-LGBT community legislative. So that's how we're looking. And again, we're only 15 days in. Right. Well, it's going to be quite a year, a lot of battles on a lot of fronts. And, um, you know, let's just hope that we're at the darkest before the dawn um, at that point. So thanks, Freddie. I want to move on. Um, Again, uh, our guest today is Lisa France. um, And uh, we're going to talk about two particular documentaries that have been projects of hers. The, the one is, she is producer on. The other one, uh, she was director, writer, uh, visionary on. And I, I do want to say this up front. Um, I have had the pleasure of interviewing numerous documentarians on this show over the past few years, um, all of them pretty much to, to the person, brilliant people, uh, very dedicated to the projects that they've worked on and everything else. Um, Lisa France reminds me of an old saying, though, um, and it's an old saying about uh, breakfast, that when you are served a plate of ham and eggs, that in that project of the, the breakfast, the, um, the chicken participated, but the pig committed. And in the scope of that realm of great documentary filmmakers, I would say Lisa committed. And we'll talk about that a little bit more on why that is my observation. But in the meantime, I want to uh, welcome uh, Lisa France to the show. Lisa, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I just want to make sure you can hear me. (laughs) I can hear you great. You sound great. So, um, that was a very yeah, welcome and thing you, you just said, <laughs> thank you. That was very generous. Oh my God. Well, I, okay. I'm going to cut to the chase then, um, because your film roll with me, you weren't just some sideline person with a camera pulling together observation. You sort of unbeknownst to 
how the film is described, though, you're the heart and soul or part of the heart and soul of it to the point that your subject matter of the film calls you his angel at the end of it. So um, that, that film obviously wouldn't exist without you, not because you documented it, because you were a lifeblood of everything that happened in it. I mean, would you say that's a fair well, that, assessment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny. Every every time, you know, look, I get emotional just thinking about it because uh, it just, it, you know, it just calls you back to that moment. I mean, you don't know what they're going to say, right? Your your subjects, you don't know how it's all going to end, and you certainly don't think they're going to point into the camera and address you directly. Uh, and so for that for that moment, that was quite a shock and a surprise in particular. Um, and my whole body and space was shaking, crying because you know, and you can't you can't do a, a movie like that and take a journey like that without being uh, you know emotional by the end because of you know without. You know, without giving away the whole story, the end of the story, something pretty amazing happens. And, and, and when it happens, it, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just very, very emotional. There's no other way to describe it. And, you know, Gabe and I, um, we've, we've remained very close friends. In fact, he, he lives now just around the corner for me, which is so great. And I get to see him all the time. And we actually just co-wrote a a, a show together, which I think is really incredible um, for anybody who doesn't know what Roll With Me is about. It's about a guy who's um, trying to make a trip across the United States um, just using his own wheelchair unassisted. And, you know, I, I think when we talk about um, when we talk about rights and ostracized communities like, like my community, the LGBTQ community, um, when you look at the disabilities community, when you look at the you know, the, the, all diversities, really, where we're all just constantly being sidelined and not heard and not seen, it, it, it's such a great opportunity to get to work with someone like Gabe, who's such a powerhouse of a human and who's still committed to making art, you know. Um, so not did, we didn't just finish the journey. We're, we're continuing with, with more things, which you know, sometimes that can be tricky after a very emotional experience like that one. Oh, I bet. And it's not a surprise that you guys continued on with your, both your spiritual and creative, um, creative uh, endeavor of, of that film. And yeah, and I can imagine, I mean, I can only imagine how emotional that was because I'm sitting here in this comfy chair watching the film and just bawling. <laughs> And, you know, I, I wasn't out on any road doing anything. But it was also, as I was watching the film, you know, it was like going, okay, here's Gabe in his wheelchair going across country. And then there's somebody talking to him who's riding behind on a bike and going, oh, my God, that's Lisa. That's Lisa. It's like this, he's, not, he's not riding alone on his own. Is there, you know, Lisa's tagging along with the bike, you know, right behind him. You know, and obviously you had some – vehicle riding as well but it's like i mean the point is you know he couldn't have done it alone and you know if you hadn't been there not just as the documentary filmmaker that event would not have happened i mean it is as much your success over the 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 finish line oops spoiler alert sorry about that 
um, as his. <laughs> Sorry. I well, there probably, are, you know, yeah. a finish line, finish lines can be proverbial too. You know, I mean, I don't know that right. like, you know, it's, it's not always uh, what we might, you know, the finish line <laughs> for everybody is different in different situations. You know, I just um, recently met somebody in a chair who, um, you know, his, he thought his finish line was maybe just to be able to have a girlfriend again, you know, uh, and never in his wildest dreams did he think that he'd be back CrossFit training and married, you know. So I think when people start out, like I think Gabe's initial finish line is let me get sober and maintain a healthy relationship. Like that was, I think, his but this is the same for everyone. I don't think that this is something we need to be separated by. I think we can be inspired by everybody and their moving of the line, right? Like, you know, I just wanted to make a feature. That was my first idea. Let me just say, I just want to make a feature before I'm 30. I just want to do, and now I've done, what, 20 or something. I don't know how many I've done. And so it's, it's, I think that, I think that the line is always moving and what that line means is, is different for every person and, to respect it for every person and to not judge and do comparativism all the time. I think it, I think it's causing some great trauma in the world to be very honest with you. And I just, I just hope that we can through our movies and, and this goes for the hurricanes, which is playing on Saturday at eight forty-five in park city at the Sundance headquarters for anybody who's out here in park city. Um, you know, it was the same for the women, you know, those women, the movies about, a team of, of women, uh, largely it's based on one particular team called the Hurricanes, which was part of a larger, <laughs> get this, I had no idea. I'm a huge football buff, like crazy, crazy football freak, okay? I had no idea there was a women's professional football league mm-hmm. in the 1970s. And also with so much diversity, like profound amounts of LGBTQ people, people of color, mothers, trans. We had a trans person on the hurricanes. I mean, in the 70s, guys, in Houston, this is like, oh, my God. You know, just wow. Yeah, no, my. To, get, <laughs> to, to shepherd a project like that, how, I mean, oh, my God, right? Like, wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's mind-blowing. And I, I don't want to minimize the impact of both the films. Um, because the, I've got, I've got literally decades of, uh, clean and sober behind me in recovery. And even for mm. me who, you know, I breathe and uh, I breathe in sobriety on a daily basis. Um, but I think what Gabe brought to the table there with roll with me is even on a higher level of, I mean, we're talking Diane Nyad kind of level of, of do not limit yourself. You know, it's like there's yeah. no excuse, and, and you see that. And the, the hurricanes. To be honest with you, I after I watched that, I went out and googled to see if there was a women's football league now, because I don't hadn't heard <laughs> of anything, and there is. There, 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 there are women playing. You know, uh, you know, eleven on eleven. You know, um, football right right now. But it is all downplayed. And um, yeah. I guess my question to you on that, because I think there's a, it, it touches on a much bigger element in our society, which the Hurricanes came up against 
firsthand in the 70s, not that big of a surprise given attitudes at the time. Um, but there is this belligerence on gender roles and what women are allowed to do and what men are allowed to do and supposed to do and this, you know, kind of reaction of, you know, that the Hurricanes came up against where it was like, women play football? No, no. They they can be shot putters, but, you know, football? What? You know, that kind of reaction. Um, what are, Having been a woman athlete yourself, what are your feelings about that, about women in sports and what the threat they potentially pose to, quote-unquote, American society? Well, you know, um, I'll tell you, it's, 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 it's really interesting because I have traveled sort of, I have traveled the course of Title IX, like, since I was young. And let me, I'll say, Rob, that this is so interesting. So in 1978 or 79, I'm giving away my age, but whatever, um, <laughs> I played on the first women uh, for uh, I was one of the first if not the first girl to play with all boys in junior high school on a tackle football team and I remember at the time there was no language that said that a player had to be male and so these you can just imagine these two guys at one of those fold-out plastic tables with their big giant you know pop corner <laughs> football you know book and they've got their like hats on and they're you know, those tight sort of coaching shorts and their collared shirts going. And I, I walk up and I'm like, hi, I'm going to, I want to play football. And my brother, I had my stepbrother and I both were going to play. And my stepfather's like, they're not going to let you play. And my mom was dead set against it. And I said, why not? I play every single day. I play football with the guys in the back of our house. Like in, we had a big space, right? That we played football every single night, every single day, all summer. Why can't I play? I'm as big as they are, and I will never forget those guys just flipping through the books, looking for the rule that said girls couldn't play, <laughs> and they couldn't find Jesus. it. Then <laughs> they were like, oh, hey, Rob, oh, uh, uh, um, hey, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't see anything. Do you see anything? I mean, it was, it was a comedy. It was just hilarious, and I just I waited patiently until they finally just had to let me sign up. And then cut to I'm in college. And I'm playing Division One basketball. I'm, I've just gotten to Brooklyn College, and I had somehow been put on a committee for the budget for all sports and physical recreation. All our, and there was a budget handed out amongst you know all the people at the table. I, I literally knew nothing about you know the what is it Robert's rules of meetings or whatever it is. I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. I still don't really. And I get the budget, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I think I'm missing a page. I think, I think you guys forgot to give me a page. And I'm looking around the room, and everyone's just staring at me, and I'm like, did you guys all get – I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't understand. The men's budget appears to be like 500 and something thousand, and the whole women's budget for all of our programs is 38,000? Oh, jeez. Does that – I'm just sorry. I just think there must be a mistake. I was a whopping 19 years old. You can only imagine. <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> and so here we are. It's, it's, 
it's like 1987 and title nine is is a is a thing it's real and no and that's the wrong and lisa can you can you explain sorry can you explain what title nine is for our listeners who don't know i know from having watched the movie but um if you could if you could explain that a little bit yeah so title nine is a law that basically says any federally funded funded um educational institution cannot discriminate with resources, whether they be financial, whether they're housing, whether they're clothing, um, any provisions made to anyone cannot be discriminatory uh, based on sex or race, period. And now they're actually looking at other things too. But like, you know, with, with LGBTQ and trans, like, like, can you discriminate based on, oh, and religion, can't discriminate. So if, let's say someone is Muslim and they want to um, play basketball in a, a hijab or something. You cannot discriminate against that's that's the law. Okay, if you're a woman and you play basketball, and you you should get the exact same kit that a men's team gets. You should get the same sort of housing. You should receive the same sort of um, food stipend. If you're a coach, you should be paid what the men are paid. Period. Like that's the rules. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the case. And then in addition to that, you need to also provide the same opportunities. So, for example, if you if you have a football team on your campus, you should actually provide a football team. However, there's this little teeny caveat about interest. So if there's not enough people that have expressed interest, mm-hmm. then it goes out the water, uh, out the door, sorry, out, out, out the door. So it's not like a, you, 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 that no longer matters. So here we are. We're 1987. I'm sitting there. I'm saying, hey, man, this doesn't look right. And there's obviously interest <laughs> because we're here and I'm on a full ride. Uh, oh, that was the other thing. They yeah. only gave, I think they, they only gave three women full rides on my team and they had 14 on the men's team. Oh, man. So, cut to now we're yeah. just making the hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, and it, it also, I mean, it's, this is so relevant because it, it speaks to things like, you know, a lot of the um, arguments that come up uh, against trans athletes, of which there are potentially 100 trans athletes in the entire country of 300 million people. Um, but, you know, by all means, let's, let's make a bunch of laws restricting this very, 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 very small group of people um, and make unjust laws about it. But behind these, this faux outrage about trans athletes is this faux love of women's sports, which the people who are proclaiming this have not shown up for women's sports. They haven't been fighting for all this. This is, you know, they've been completely disinterested. All of a sudden, because they can be anti-something, now the interest comes about. Um, but uh, one question I have for you is both these films are such a great narrative of themselves. Um, I have trouble believing that there isn't a film script happening behind each one of them. I mean, we're talking Academy Awards, you know, everything that could be behind this. You know, what, what is the material's future in your mind? 
You know, it's funny. Our our partners, um, so Olivia Kwan, who directed the movie, who's not only one of my dearest and closest friends, but a wizard, really. She's just, I mean, listen, the, the woman is a crazy talent. She's been my cinematographer for, I don't know, I think we've done 10 projects that I've directed, and she's DP'd for me. And again, another area where women and LGBTQ women are, you know, directing, um, DPing, but, you know, she and I had talked about this many times with our other producing partner, James, and we just couldn't, we, you know, we just couldn't see the way through, you know, and then she decided she wanted to go off with James Short, our other producer, and go write a script about a very important character in the documentary, a woman named Anita Martini. And that script is written, and she, by the way, for anybody listening, um, she broke, talk about breaking down a door, she was the first woman to get into a pro locker room of men, all men. Oh, yes. Okay. And, no, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's like, and, and she's the one who made sure that the Hurricanes got some press. Of course she did, right? The only woman in an all-man press room, she wasn't even allowed to eat with the other press members that were all men. They had, she had to eat in a separate, I mean, it, dude, sorry, I just, I can't, my mind just is, is, is explodes when I imagine these things. But so we were like, well, I don't really see a way through. Well, then we brought Fun Meter, which is uh, Brian Lazarte and James Hernandez, and they were, they, Fun Meter, they also have a project playing, which everyone should go see late tonight, Lollapalooza, they have uh, I think two episodes tonight, very late for those people who might be out there. Um, they said, well, we see a way. And so we're just waiting for them to, like, pitch the way. As far as Roll right. With Me, as far as Roll With Me goes, you know, I can't, I, I, I kind of feel like it would be great if it were done sort of like wild, which I pitched this to Gabe. Gabe wrote a book. I, I, I love the guy to death, but he really wasn't, it wasn't what I was hoping for. I was hoping for a while, but right. he never saw wild or red wild. And so I'm like, well, maybe I should try to do it from my perspective. Like, what is it? I'm, the, I'm a, a, a single lesbian living in her car with six completely, between six and seven, depending on the day of who's participating and who's not, um, kind of damaged humans. <laughs> You know, I mean, it was so crazy. But the transformation of it all was, um, you know, to 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 find yet another, I'm going to say, other, another ostracized community to fall head over heels in love with that community, to help now amplify the disabled community, to support it. Like, and to see, you know, when you see some of these amazing movies like CODA, you know, come on. If you guys didn't see the episode Paris Barclay directed of Dahmer, which is the, you know, this beautiful love story between these two men and he's and the, one of the guys is deaf. It's, it's, and black. And it is just right. one of the most beautiful and devastating episodes of television you will ever watch. I can't believe Paris didn't win like for his episode. Cause it was just, I mean, if you if there is one thing to please stop and watch this year, get on Hulu. Please watch that episode. It is 
oh my God, it's so good. But that is what you'll get. That's what we get if we dig in, if we find these yeah. beautiful, amazing stories, right? Well, that, and that's the thing for me with, because uh, one of the things I do besides this podcast and writing articles for the Ellie Blades is I write. And to me, it's like, it's what you described. The role with me is like this cast of, this is a cast of athletes who go out and do this. And it's not like, you know, you know, Gabe himself is, is somebody who's like, you know, Oh, I want to raise money or, you know, I mean, it's like, it, 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 the, the characters of who these people are, are so dimensional and they endeavor on this thing, but it's also, and this probably will give a little bit of the spirit of the film. So turn off our podcast for a few minutes in case, um, and you're going to go watch the movie. <laughs> but the, the thing that motivates through the whole film is the people coming out and how that love from strangers is that lifeblood that goes back into what you guys are doing to get you through. And it's like they're your oxygen that, that keeps it rolling. And the, the universal message through the whole story is one that you don't have to be part of a marginalized community to get. Everybody falls under the, oh, my God, I'm so limited. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm too old. Oh, I'm too male. Oh, I'm too female. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm not able enough. You know, all of those things is a human thing. I mean, I guarantee you that most people have that demon in their own heads. And you guys blow it out of the water. And so, yeah, I I will applaud, not if, but when <laughs> your film gets happening on that, that level. Um, I know. I just, we we got to get on with it. If anybody wants to call me and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, also, I think, I think the journeys of making a documentary – they are like when Olivia asked me to produce the hurricanes, I had just finished roll with me. And I said, no way, dude, I love you. You're one of my best friends, but there's just no way I'm not doing it. Sorry. <laughs> because I was so tapped out from, I mean, I shot for 120 days, man. And then I had to cut it. It took years. It took like three, four four years just to edit the thing. Cause I had no money. I mean, I think I must be attracted to underdogs low budget, no way stories. Like this is never, no one would ever believe you. Like, I think I'm just very attracted to unearthing stories about people who have been, my very first movie, which I made like 20 something years ago is about a black Latin ex woman who is trying, wants to be a rapper and is inspired by the diary of Anne Frank. How more, and her brother is a, a drug addict who's, you know, it's just like I totally yeah. pick these people, I think. I, I like I really think I pick the hardest possible like can these people survive this situation and can they make it to the other side? <laughs> well, I mean, but that is but that's what makes it interesting right there. I mean it's it's like you know, it's like the the stories about somebody kind of going, Oh, yeah, well, you know, they're you know, an up and comer, a rich businessman and oh my god, he you know, can he make it through lunch? It's like, oh who wants to watch that? But um, but your first film, <laughs> Annie, be real. What what? Where did you get that concept? Was that something? The um, Anne Frank came rapper. To, yeah, that was an interesting. There was a young, very young uh, Latino writer uh, named Antonio Macia, and he had written this script. You know, 
he was very young and very new <clears throat> that needed um, an insane amount of work. And, but the, but the conceit was so powerful and so unique to me that I just said, let's figure it out, you know? And then, you know, then my, my producing partner and writing partner at the time, who, who's still one of my best friends, uh, Louis Morrow, he, he's Cuba. He's a black Cuban guy. And so he was like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. We're going to fix this up. And then we got permission from Anne Frank's family to use the, to use the diary in the, in the story. I mean, it, it kind of, and I also did something really not very, like, it was a little, it was very challenging, but there was a lot of cursing in the, in the movie. And I, I really wanted my, I had a little sister at the time, and I really wanted her to be able to watch it. And I have, I had one of my grandmothers was still alive at the time. I really wanted her to watch it. And I didn't want to have that weird, gooey, uncomfortable feeling mm-hmm. at the, t- you know what I mean? So I just wanted no, to, totally. like, how can I, I just wanted to make it, I wanted to make it PG, quite frankly. And so we had to ask no swearing. So the cast, I did a lot of improv and they would swear and they would say the N word and, they would, they would, and then they would, I told them all, like, if you start, just cut yourself and we'll start again. It's no big deal. And they all were very committed to it. It was really, really interesting. And I, again, the, the, for me, every time this happens when I make a movie, we show the movie, if one person, just one, comes up to me and says, that just changed my whole life. I wasn't going to do X, but now I'm going to do it. Or I was afraid of doing Y, but now I'm going to do it. And I didn't want to do this before, or I never have told anyone this before. And they have a profound breakthrough in their own life. And then like what we started the podcast with, with, with the line where a person's line is for what does it mean to cross over and finish that line moves ahead a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. Because I think our, it's so important that as artists that we hopefully, yes, we want to make ourselves happy. But also for me, it's about inspiring. I really want to inspire people with our work. I, I hope to educate. I learn something new every single day. Every time I make a project, if I'm not learning something new or I'm not investigating something new, I kind of feel like, you know, why? Why am I doing it? If I'm not here to inspire or entertain or motivate, sometimes your motivation is just to make people laugh or feel good. But I'm particularly attracted to breakthrough stories. I really, I really love them. I love groundbreaking stories or even if it's ironic or black comedy or whatever it is, just something new, something interesting and fun. But I think inspiration is my favorite. It is definitely my favorite one. How do we well, get you, people inspired and motivated? Yeah, you have scored on both counts on each of these films. I mean, they're both, you know, that, that's where the tears come from because it's impossible to watch either one and not feel personally inspired from them. So, I mean, uh, kudos on that. Um, one thing that you have said, in fact, I think you said it in actually um, the film role with me, was that you love people who are the first to do anything, which ironically also would fall under the hurricanes as well. Um, what is it about that? People who are the first to do something that excites you? You know, I always just think, you know, again, we move the line. You know, we move the line of what's possible. Like, you know, today, or well, like Roger Bannister, he's a, he's a kind of a classic example. He's the first person to break the four-minute mile. 
which everyone said was physically impossible. They said it was medically impossible. Every single person who had any, you know, whatever clout at the time in the medical world, in the sports world, in the professional sport, they said it is not possible to break the four-minute mile, literally. And as soon as he did it, I think it's less than a month later, like three other people did it. And when you see something, you know, that you've maybe imagined but haven't been able to see yourself, like, doing, and you see someone else do that thing, it makes it possible for you. And so I think that's why representation is so important. It is so important that people, like, that we have people of color, that we have people in the disabilities community, that we have people in the LGBTQT community, that we have representation, older community, younger, like right now in my, my new community that I'm like obsessed with, like what are older folks doing? How are we going to take mm-hmm. care of them? Why are they always so pushed out of the way? Maybe that's because I'm going to be closing in on that at some point in my life. Uh, like when, who's going to, like who's looking out for them? Like there's a new organization and I don't know, I don't know if it's Susan Sarandon. No, no, um, maybe it's Gina Davis. I can't remember, but there's a new group of couple celebs that are approaching this, you know, I'm going to call it mm-hmm. the second half, of, second half of life, who feel like, and especially women, this does no offense, but this really doesn't happen to men so much, but older women, we're just like, bye, out to pasture, you know, like, as soon as we turn 50, it's over. Like, sorry, thanks for coming, you know. <laughs> wait a minute. Well, wait, I, we, just got really, we just got great. We just got smart. We just finally figured it out. We're done with the kids. Come on. Let's, like, we've lived. Let's, like, let it, like, we're really good now. <laughs> no, and um, I think it is Gina Davis. I, I think uh, I'm, I'm, and I don't have it at the top of my head, but I, I, I do know that organization that I think she has launched. By the way, I would not count men out on that because it, there is a parallel for men. Um, men end up, many men, and I, I see this happening where they quit. They quit their lives, and they have no friends. They're, they're, um, their suicide rate is much higher. All of those things are true for men. So I think that whole community needs that inspiration. Definitely women I in do Hollywood, too. which is, I, I think, Gina's focus is, is specific yeah. women. I think, yeah. I think, women in the, I think women in the workplace is more my, and I do think you're right. I think men, and one of the things that, it's, it's, it's funny, I'm writing something right now around this topic, which I'm, I'm very fascinated by, because I, I just, like, I love men. <laughs> I love men. I'm not one of those you know, women who hate men. I love men. Right. They're my best friends most, most of my, and I, I, I struggle often with the, 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 for me, it's a very tenuous line where like, it's so funny. I was on the plane here and I sat next to two white dudes straight with kids. Like he had a two year old, he had a three year old and they, they, they were hilarious because they kind of poked fun at themselves. They said, well, you know, being a white straight dude, 30 years old, it's like rough out there. And they all laughed. It was like a group of six of them. They were going skiing together. And I was in the middle of them, right? And (laughs) I said, yeah, you guys are having it really tough right now. Are you okay? They're like, oh, yeah, it's really hard for us. And they they are woke. 
they are. They're they're waking up to it. I said, I feel mm-hmm. bad because like being a female uh, queer person, I got to tell you, I got it so dope right now. Like I am riding high, and they all left because they get it, and they and then they did ask me. One of the guys was like, No, seriously, how is it for you? I was like, What? I was impressed by this straight white man. <laughs> I was like, you are not, like, I was like, you're, you know, this is what we need. And he was younger. So he was probably, I want to say he was like 30, 28 to 30. And he just, he, and, and I think, I don't know. I think Olivia says it in the movie, in the hurricanes where she says that she just hopes that, you know, that when men have girls, they'll, their daughters to play catch, you know, or something like that. I forget how yeah. she says yeah. it, but it's like, it's, it's just like, just these guys are those guys. And I, I think what we're doing, I think the work that we're doing, the work that your show is doing, the work that we're doing as artists and filmmakers and you as a writer, like, I think it's working. Like we just can't stop until we find right. like love and compassion and understanding start to eliminate judgment a little bit more feels like it's you know always there the judgment mostly largely self-judgment I think we're the first in line to obliterating ourselves but I was thinking about how these guys what I loved about they were very loving to each other and they did have a group of guy friends whereas I do think as men get into familial relationships sometimes they drop off their friend groups and I think that's really a bummer. And I think you're right, Rob. I do, like, my dad is like that. I'm like, Dad, who are your friends? Yeah. He has no answer well, and, and And what you experience with those guys being in their 30s and, and all that, I think that's new. And I've seen it on, like, different things, like on reality TV. Um, there's a show, um, uh, Love is Blind. And I won't go into the whole thing of the Love is Blind setup. Um, but one of the things is men who are dating women come back and they talk about these women that they are potentially going to propose to. And it's so the thing that is most different about that show is the men's relationships with each other, because it's like they're depicting men talking to men and being emotional with other men about their lives that we haven't really seen in public media that way. And, and I can tell you too, I've lived, the reverse side of the hurricanes in being a single gay dad raising two little boys on my own, where I was going into spaces where people resented me taking on the mother role. It was like I was, mm. I was breaking the gender norm and treading into, to your point, crossing the line that I wasn't supposed to cross as a male. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it, that was, that's the the woman's high guard, which is why I think the underlying thing of the prejudice against the hurricanes was, wait, wait, this isn't helping you get in line for motherhood, and that's where your value is. I mean, it's never said, yep. but that's yeah. sort of in the ether behind it. So, um, yeah, well, I it's, think it is a little so, bit. It so is important. a little bit said. Yeah. It is a little bit, you know, because I think Olivia's mom touches on it a little bit. She she yeah. says, you know, my mom, you know, my mom thought I should like be more girly and get married and have kids, and so we. And I think a couple of the players kind of touch on it a little bit, just a little. But we all know that, right? I mean, I think I think it's 
that's old even old information but uh, by the way congratulations that you're a single gay dad with two boys congrats it's amazing oh. i love that and you know my the guy i was talking about louis moro he actually raised his two daughters a single dad latino black guy trying to live in santa barbara good luck with that one yeah um, oh my god yeah. so you yeah man <laughs> he, he's amazing he's amazing and what? i think that I love that. You're making an example for men, and that's beautiful. And it's okay to want to be the stay-at-home father. Like, listen, I have a, one of my producer friends who he, he has a little teeny company, but his wife is the bread maker. She's the one who goes out, and she's the one killing it. And he stays at home with the kids. And there's a lot of that. It, it's changing where it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's not like it doesn't have to be bad. It can be beautiful and wonderful, you know? And I love it. Yeah, and those, those single dads were kind of part of my community, even straight single dads who were stay-at-home dads, wife working. It's like I, we got each other because we, we ran up against a lot of the same attitudes and, and issues. Um, I do want to ask you, though, you know, it's like you, you talk about, you know, you are attracted to the line crossers and people pushing the line. What is the next line for Lisa France? What is your line that you – want to step over and push um, in, in your creativity? I have a project I'm working on that I, I, have, I am not going to talk about. But, you know, I think when we're writer, director, producers, we're always hunting for the, for the thing, that one little, you know, the movie or the piece of art or whatever that's going to, like, make us do all the things we want, which is one particularly feel good, right? Like, this feels good. This feels right. When I made Ambi Real, I had that feeling. When I made Roll With Me, I had that feeling. Um, as a producer on the Hurricanes, I had that feeling. But I've never uh, written, directed, and produced from scratch my own movie that came from something that is very important to me. And there's been a thing that I've been trying to figure out how to introduce into the world, a conversation that I just haven't been able to figure it out. And I was on a commission job where I had to write a script that I'm directing. And I was sharing it with a friend. And this guy said to me, eh, I just can't connect with that idea. And I was thinking, I know you can't. <laughs> and I think about it all the time. And so it's been troubling me for, for, for decades, right? It's just been troubling for me for decades. And if this project comes to fruition and, 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 and does what I wanted to do, what it would look like, the line that I would cross would be, um, you know, that, it, that I would be chased for jobs because I think it's that good. Like people would be like, how do I get her? And I would just get to have my pick of the litter for great scripts to read and things to direct and produce. And because uh, right now, you know, I'm not, I'm not there yet. You know, I don't mind. I'm not like one of these people who till she makes it. Uh, this is where I am and it's okay I'm tired of like judging myself and comparing myself to everybody else. And it's funny when I let go of that idea, I was meditating on it mm -hmm. a lot. And after I saw, you know, Ava DuVernay has championed me. I, I'm like, she and, and um, Anthony Sparks, who they were co-showrunners on Queen Sugar. And between the two of them, they've been incredibly instrumental in my career pushing on. Right. And I just saw Ava's movie origin and after I saw it, I said to myself, if I ever make anything that good, 
I will rest. That's how freaking good it is. <laughs> yeah, and I doubt that will happen. That, not not that line. you won't make anything that good, but I guarantee you, you will not rest. Because that does not sound yeah, like different. you. <laughs> it's, it's funny, though. It's funny. I actually, we talked about it after. And then she interestingly wrote about it, I think, on her Instagram or somewhere in an article. She said it's the most comfortable she's ever felt because it's hers. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's her. It's, it's, the, it's the definition of, of an auteur. Like, and, and it came from her soul. It came from her heart. It came from something deeply passionate for her like and so when I and I do believe Andy Real was that for me it was very much that but I made it for a hundred thousand dollars I did it with like nothing I had nothing I mean it was just blood right. and more blood and credit cards and I was like literally shooting that movie while I was collecting unemployment insurance like that's I don't want it that, that's the next well, line is none of that <laughs> none of that <laughs> I, well you just you just defined your line and you hinted about what it's going to be which i'm super super intrigued and excited for you uh we are literally down to our last two minutes um quickly good. where can people get your films where can they see them <sighs> tragically um roll with me is not out anymore um however it will hopefully be out again in 20, end of 24, beginning of 25. If anyone really, 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 really wants to see it, if they want to find me on Instagram, explain their desire, you know, we can work something out. <laughs> and then, um, well, and then Andy Real also is, I think, available for sale on Vimeo. I'm trying to get it re-released. And then right now, the only place you can see the Hurricanes is on Saturday at 8.45 at Slambit. <laughs> well, watch, watch for the Hurricanes in the future because I'm sure there will be distribution deals. When Roll With Me comes out, we'll definitely write about it in The Blade. So watch for The Blade for our announcement of where you can see Roll With Me at the end of 2024. And, Lisa, um, absolute joy talking to you. Thank you for being you and producing what you do. Cannot wait to see what is coming for you. I know it's going to be great, but thank you obviously for being here today and, and having that conversation with us. And I've oh, got well, a, it's been uh, a real up. pleasure. So, thank likewise. you. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, uh, we'll be back again next week, but in the meantime, go read the Los Angeles Blade at losangelesblade.com. You should read it every day. We have uh, great new articles coming up. And an upcoming edition is The Best of L.A., which will show you what the readers thought about everything happening in L.A. And so check that out when it happens. But for those of us at Rated LGBT Radio, we will be back again next week with another great show. And you can count on that. And can't wait to talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 